the reason, above all, for getting people connected at the local level is that all the good things in life are generated by their coming together. I'm Katie Bachmeyer, and you're listening to more. Having a big name in the local community building movement seems to go against the rules. But my guest today, John McKnight, is a big name. In today's conversation, John talks about what exactly asset-based community development is and the six assets or gifts that he has found people use in their neighborhoods. The show notes for this episode are packed with resources and links that John mentions, along with a summary of his majorly impressive bio, where you'll see John has spent a lifetime dedicated to the common good. He's a veteran, former government employee who worked during the civil rights movement. He's an author, and my favorite claim to fame, he trained President Obama during his days of community organizing in Chicago. So I really hope this interview with John can help anyone on the path to building community in your own neighborhood and local community. Oh, my name is uh, John McKnight. I've been interested in, I suppose, local communities because I was raised in, in several. <laughs> and uh, my mother was uh, an Irish Catholic. She was a person dedicated to the idea of family and local community as being really important. And so I think I first started with her values then built around them rather than made it up up myself. So I had my mother's interest in local community. And then at the university, I learned more of a conceptual way and practical way too. What were some of your mom's values that you carried forward? Well, that we had an obligation to each other. She was not big on individualism. Our, Our good is a common good right? Not just an individual good. That idea uh, she had uh, stuck with me that uh, the basic question of the good part of society doesn't have to do as much with what I individually do, but what commitment I have to do things together with others. She and my father were both, I think, a little unusually for people who are from small town Ohio, committed to inclusiveness. Mm. Uh, I was raised with the idea that uh, excluding people or discriminating people, especially because of their race at the time, was a bad thing. So that was another value I think I carried forward from, from both of them. In your work, and it sounds like your mom's, your mom's values and influence on you has impacted an entire movement of people around this idea of asset-based community development. Is that a phrase that you coined? I've always had, uh, since I went to the university after I left uh, government, a colleague named uh, Jody Kretzman, and uh, he and I were together and jointly uh, created that framework for understanding what's in a community. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of different definitions of what asset-based community development is, but I've heard Cormac Russell put it that it is not a model, but a description of what happens when local people come together in relationship to make action. And I think that's right. It isn't, for most people, a paradigm shift so that they pay more attention to the full half of people and their communities than they do to the empty half. Mm. 
these needs and problems that you saw in people and neighborhoods is half the story, the empty half. Mm. You ought to have a full half, too. So we, Jody and I, decided that it would be a good thing if somebody did research that, that tried to identify what was there in neighborhoods. As far as assets, as far as gifts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was there, we called assets. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, that was based on four years of talking to people and interviewing them in neighborhoods all across Canada and the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out we had a couple thousand stories, but there were about six things that appeared in these stories that people used. Quickly, uh, they were first that people used the gifts and talents of people in the neighborhood, not their defects and problems. Second is they, they used their own groups, organizations, and clubs to get things done. The third thing is they had local institutions that they used, like a library, for instance, or, or a small business, right, or some kind of a, or, um, agency that they had created that was local, not, not those that were downtown. And the fourth thing is they used the resources, the physical, the environment, the ecology as a resource, right? Uh, the fifth thing was they were constantly involved in connecting those other four, and we call that exchange. They were connecting things, exchanging mm-hmm. things. And the last thing is they were reflecting and developing a culture by telling stories. So stories are the way they captured what they knew, what they valued, what they wanted to do, and became a part of their culture. Mm -hmm. So those are the six things that people used in neighborhoods. So we, we have emphasized the role of people who understand what the local assets or resources or ingredients are and take action to form groups or themselves make connections among those assets. Mm-hmm. And this so goes, that's what yeah. asset development is. So that connecting has always been the central action that's different than leadership. A leader's at the front of the room, but a connector's in the middle of the room, right? And this is back to your mom's value of a common good mm-hmm. and also this differentiation between independence and interdependence. Yes. I think, can you talk more about leader is at the front of the room and a connector is at the middle of the room and how that comes into play? Well, a leader is, uh, well, definitions, but uh, one way of thinking about them is they are the public voice of community determination or will. So uh, often they are people who uh, know how to speak, who are vigorous, who have some kind of charisma. People look to them as being uh, good representatives. Now, if you went back to the civil rights movement and you said, well, who was the leader of civil rights? Who was Dr. King? But the civil rights movement was created significantly before Dr. King became a a spokesperson invisible. And it was very clear that he wasn't leading the thousands and thousands of groups all over the country that had coalesced into a movement. 
he was their voice. He wasn't speaking for himself. And so that's one role of a leader. A connector, on the other hand, is somebody who understands and has knowledge of all of the resources in a local community. They know about the gifts of a lot of people. They belong to a lot of clubs and groups. They are very much aware of who the librarian is and who the druggist is. And they can see that there are vacant lots that could become assets and made into community gardens, right? And they tend to be good storytellers as well. And they connect those things or get groups of people together who will make that kind of a, of a connection. Mm. So a word that I would use for them, a classic word is host or hostess. If you're giving a party and you're inviting a, a bunch of people, a host or a hostess might stand at the front door and greet people as they would come in and, and then say, uh, well, you know, Mary, uh, you, you play the piano, and there are two people here who are musicians. I'd like to introduce and take you over and introduce. And then they go back. But what they're doing is they're connecting. They don't join the musicians' discussion so much as what they're doing is valuing putting people and other resources together and not leading them, but precipitating them into relationships that result in action. So it, it is a role that um, satisfies a lot of people, but it is a role that is usually not recognized. People don't, if I said to most people, what is a connector, they wouldn't exactly know. <laughs> so it doesn't get a lot of recognition. So it has to be people who are satisfied with the role of host or hostess, mm -hmm. <laughs> put it that way. They get a joy out of putting people together rather than standing in front of them. Both of those you need, both are legitimate. But what really builds community is people who multiply connections because what makes things better is connecting assets. Yeah. And that doesn't happen on its own, usually. Somebody or some group has to do it. And, and the description that you gave of being at a dinner party and, and the host knowing enough about the guests coming in order to connect them is such a good way to describe how any of us can mobilize gifts in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that's at a dinner party or another type of an event. That's just that's just the, the natural way. And it, it seems like that could be an easy way to start, maybe. I would say one other thing that uh, uh, we know is you can't train people to be connectors. <laughs> However, I've never seen a block in North America at the local at one block where there are not at least two to three connectors. They're there, but you have to identify that and in, in a sense enhance and enable them to do their work on a maybe broader scale than they are tending to do naturally. Mm. So finding connectors on a block is a way, a way to start. And often you can find them by knocking on the door, talking to somebody who's, who's on that block 
and asking them, is there anybody here that you know that most people respect or if you have a party who will pull them together or if there were somebody that knows about everybody else is somebody like that around here right and you're liable to find that what you got is a connector now the wonderful thing about connectors is they just love to bring people together mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what was required for asset-based community development well, and you just put voice to not everybody is a connector. There are some people who might be best at finding the connectors. And the way that they do that is that knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, yeah. are you a connector? Or how would you say people approach that? Yeah, The city in North America that has gone furthest in this kind of development of connectors as the base for city life is Edmonton, Canada. And there, uh, one or two people began an initiative that they called the Abundant Community Initiative because they knew about or were connectors, were good people to find. It takes one to know one, in a sense. So they, they were able, by engaging people on another block, to identify people who had this attribute. And uh, this became so popular. So many blocks and neighborhoods were interested in beginning to get people together that they hired half-time a connector to be responsible for 50 blocks, (laughs) finding local connectors on each block. And if people are really interested, you can go to their website and they have a guide for their connectors. How do they work? Hmm. Uh, you, you find at the best experience anybody has ever had wrote down how to go about finding and then mobilizing local connectors. Wonderful. What do you think gets in the way of people wanting to start this work? I mean, you gave a great resource there and people can go check that out. At the end of the day, I think there are still some things that people might find get in the way, even if they know exactly what to do next. Um, what are the things you see most common? Well, I think most common is a, a strange sort of hesitance or minor fear, and that is to, to knock on the door of your neighbors, right? Usually you have to find somebody uh, who's willing to go up to a neighbor's door and knock on and introduce them and begin to talk with them about their gifts and their their talents to invite them to maybe join them in talking to other neighbors about gifts and talents and what they could teach. And uh, it is sometimes difficult to find a person who who feels at ease just knocking on the door of their neighbors. They live in the block, but still, uh, that's not a gift everybody has. So overcoming the kind of, I don't like to use the word fear, but justifications people have for not knowing their neighbors, right? Right. I don't want to interfere in their lives, or I don't want to be turned down. All those those kind of things Mm -hmm. are, I think, the the threshold limitation that, that, that you run into. The threshold limitation, that's interesting. Does that mean that once you get past that, there's no more excuses? Well, I I think that if you find uh, a person or two who are willing to do that or are willing to learn how to do it with your support, they're the starting point. They are the hosts and hostesses for the block. 
Some people call them the block champion. In Edmonton, they call them the block connector. But if you get that process going, it breaks down fears that people have about even talking to somebody who comes to their front door. Because this is their neighbor, and they see that their neighbor values them, right? Mm -hmm. And so you begin to shift the culture of, of close your door, be an individual, and begin to see that, no, you could open your door, and together you could do more than you can do by yourself. And it's pretty, pretty basic. It's a culture shift. Yes. And it's not. It is all in action. It is getting people together on a block party. It's getting them to identify what they know that they would be willing to teach the young people on the block. It's uh, finding out what kinds of knowledge they have that they'd be willing to share or join together with others on the block to develop or enjoy, right? Uh, you might find three, four people who walk for exercise. Well, why can't they walk together, right? <laughs> so a connector might find out first to know that somebody really enjoys walking and then introduces them to the two other people on the block who do that so that they're not each walking alone, but they're getting to know each other as they walk and they become a node for which the connector can begin to ask people, do you exercise? Would you like to walk? You know, there are three people who start out every morning at seven o'clock <laughs> and let me connect you to them. That kind of, uh, of a process. Uh, it, it's people who are not thinking, I have something I'd like local people to do. I work for an agency or I'm in a program or I work for a government. It's people who, when they talk to somebody, light up and say, oh, you know, you play the clarinet. And I've just found four other people on the block who play different instruments. Let's get together. Maybe we can have a block band. So their joy isn't in what they do. <laughs> it's what these people do, right? Yes. That's a host or a hostess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, and there's so much research coming out now about how important it is for us to have connections yeah. and that it leads to better well-being. And your example of getting together to go on a walk you know, something like that can motivate us to be more consistent with getting out and exercising if we know we have other people who are meeting us at seven in the morning. And the reason I bring that up is I think so many of us say that we're too busy for this kind of commitment to be involved in the neighborhood in any way. But um, if it's something that you already naturally do, which is this example you gave, you're already going on a walk, why not do it together? Um, yeah. Or why not play your instrument with others? Yes. Or if uh, you spend too much of your time in childcare, there are probably some other people on the block feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we got together, we could begin to split the load. Mm -hmm. Begin to think about how, when I need some free time, you can help me and vice versa. You know, the reciprocal kind of relationship can grow. Mm -hmm. Or a couple people are are gardeners and they're willing to teach gardening to the kids in the local school and they are willing to create a garden on a vacant lot in the neighborhood. 
in a sense, if you really find out what gifts, uh, skills, passions, knowledge people on the block have, they are waiting to share it. And Edmonton has got more invitations going out <laughs> than any other city in the United States mm-hmm. or Canada. And that work they're doing there has, in a way, revolutionized the city. The city now has, as its community policy, this initiative. We've seen so much more change, responsibility and creativity growing out of the connection of neighbors on a block, that we couldn't do anything with our programs and policies that would begin to match what they're doing now. Right. And this is not a conglomerate of a development organization. This is a group of neighbors, is your point. Yeah. 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 You know, another thing that I I hear people say is that there's too much crime in my neighborhood. And back to your earlier point about, about the empty half, people tend to focus on that first and say, this is too big of a hurdle. So do you think that there is an answer to that? Well, if you get groups of people together in any way and, and produce what scientists will call social capital these days, right? They are producing a kind of wealth and it's measurable so that you can compare people who are on active blocks with people who are on inactive blocks and say, well, what's the difference in terms of major concerns people have? Mm -hmm. Just the fact that you are in a collective relationship of personal knowledge of each other produces much different neighborhoods than the police can ever do. And it goes that way with food. It goes that way with energy. It goes that way with children. It goes that way with care. That when we get together in small groups locally, and we do it not in programs somebody else is pushing from some institution, but we do it because it grows out of our mutual interest. Mm Regardless of what the mutual interest is, we are going to be safer, healthier, wiser, and raise better children. So how would you like that? Yeah, I think we, w- we would all like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. So there's all kinds of evidence that the reason, above all, for getting people connected at the local level is that all the good things in life are generated by their coming together. Yes. And and another way of saying that that I've heard you put is that care is not something that can be managed. It's freely given from the heart. We've almost just delegated too much responsibility to social services. Mm -hmm. And so for police officers to expect them to keep an entire community safe when we ourselves are not knowing our neighbors and you know who would make that point these days more more strongly than anybody else? Police chiefs. Right. I mean, I just read in this morning's paper here in Chicago, the police chief talking about how they can do just so much. <laughs> and then it's up to whether people are organized in their local blocks. Yes. This is just part one of our conversation. And in the second half, we dig a little more into the impact people with disabilities have had on John's understanding of belonging and community and what his take on the myth of that small town past circa 1950s America is. 
As always, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Starfire or make a donation, please head over to starfirecincy.org.